Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome to today's episode. My name is Mess Freeze. And I got the pleasure of being your host today. Today's guest is Alexander Avent, who's a former monk, experienced meditation teacher, has done a TEDx talk with the title Navigating Digital Mindfulness, and today helps companies and individuals in the role he defines as spiritual technologist. It's a very honest talk where Alexander shares his experience about life not always being Instagram perfect but actually quite difficult in having anger. He shares how he uses meditation to deal with challenges and negative emotions. He shares some of his routines and practices for living a mindful life. He touches on how to use technology in a mindful manner that improves your life. I hope you get as much out of this interview as I did. I have definitely reflected on several of his points and already downloaded one of the apps he mentions. You'll be able to find the links in the show notes to the different tools that Alexander referenced throughout the podcast. So let's jump straight into the conversation. Alexander, welcome very much to this uh, episode of this podcast. Thank you. And thank you so much for, uh, for participating today. Really looking forward to this conversation. I am very grateful that you invited me. Would you start off by just shortly telling a little bit about yourself? It's such a hard question, you know. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I can say about myself, I guess. But what I'm most proud about from myself is that I, I work with, with humanity in a way that I've over the years, I guess, specialized in understanding both uh, technological development and, and how, to, well, how to build businesses based on new technologies, but... As an output of this, I found my true value to be in how to make the livelihoods of others better. Um, something that I'm, as I said earlier, quite proud of. I consider myself a spiritual technologist. Mm-hmm. It's a term that I was actually given um, as I was engaged, uh, engaging as a mentor for, for a startup incubator. And they called me a spiritual technologist because of my somewhat alternative way of speaking about development of a world, but also with respect to the nourishment and the caretaking of our humanity. Um, and this automatically came out as this funny word that I've learned to love because I feel it encompasses quite well um, what I feel I want to stand for. And that is to to try and do whatever I can to leave this world in a better condition than how it was given to me. And mm-hmm. I do this by, by using tech, by using spirituality to lift people up to a higher potential. Yeah. So if we back that up a bit, <clears throat> so your upbringing was whereabouts in the world? Well, I'm Danish, yeah. um, born and raised in Denmark. So I've lived some time in the US yeah. to, to get that angle of the world in space, but mostly been... I guess in a westernized context, yeah. brought up. However, um, my mother is Thai. Yeah. And I guess what you're fishing for is as well how I've 
gotten to embrace my Eastern side of myself and I got to explore that as an ordained Buddhist monk of the Theravada, Theravada Buddhism, which is the common sort of Buddhism in East Asia. And I guess that was kind of the awakening of, of questions that is, that is not so, I guess, elaborated in the West, uh, a bit more mystical and open-ended questions that, that they're very good at asking in the East. Hmm. So what made someone from the West suddenly move and become a monk? <laughs> um, again, several things. Family. Hmm. Family means a lot to me. And I have a very large Thai family. And there is a tradition in Thai, in the Thai, well, end of the world in Thai families, that the oldest son mo- must um, ordain as a Buddhist monk for the family to be reborn, um, mm-hmm. or at least to be lifted uh, up to nirvana. Yeah. And and this, of course, I'm not, I'm not that religious, to be honest, and, and I feel it's a beautiful thing. And, of course, there was something I wanted to do for the family this sake, because I haven't had the opportunity, mm-hmm. I guess, to the same extent throughout my life to give a little back to that part of me. And so that became one cause that I wanted to seek out for this. And the other one was, of course, to see, well, how does spirituality play a role mm-hmm. in my life? And what does spirituality mean? I guess to that point in time, I always saw spirituality as something that had to be religious and my awakening on this was that it didn't. I mean, spirituality is just how you manifest your belief system. And I think this was, was somewhat of a way of challenging my belief system through you know, 26 years of life, mm. 27 years of life. And there was kind of an unknown reason, but I knew there was something there that I would like to explore. Yeah. So that's kind of the two sides of, of the reason of, of going there. So, do you have a grandmaster there? How does it work? Do you tell them, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, spirituality is not necessarily well, with religion, or was that something you took out from, from being there? Well, there is religion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, Buddhism is treated as a religion and followed quite quite strictly yeah. by a majority of Thai people. And, and there were some aspects of religious scriptures that I had to understand and learn and and recite upon ordaining as a monk. Um, the Grand Master, there is, a, there is an abbot, yeah. I guess you can call it a temple abbot, which, which kind of, he's responsible for a specific region of uh, the monkhood, which I had to abide my, uh, I had to pledge my, um, my monkhood to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you become somewhat of a uh, apprentice uh, under him. And then I have a teacher. Who, so how just... For someone not yeah. involved in that process, how does that work? It's so, like you stand and bow yeah, well, for like 10 days. Just yeah. like. <laughs> First of all, you need to study a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You need to study a lot and you got to bunk down for that. You need to pay respect and you have to pay your dues to the temple. They ask you why, you know, why do you want to become a monk? Yeah. And they're quite strict about Westerners as well, entering a Buddhist monastery, a Buddhist temple. So what did you say there? Well, I had, luckily I had the, the support of my family, right? Yeah. So there was something uh, I could say that I wanted to explore. Yeah. I'm half Thai and I I feel I 
have at least half the right to explore this part. And the other half was then the family who stood in my place and said, you know, they would very much like if, if I could enter this temple. So if I came down, <clears throat> you could as well. You could as well. What But would they say then? Would I be like, hey? That depends again. So the different side of the story is you need yeah. to find your temple. Yeah. And you need to find a master who can, a teacher who can take you in. Yeah. And that's also some kind of a, it's a maze because how do you find that? Right? Yeah. And this was a lot of interviews to different temples. So so you could do that. So for do you sure. Google them or do you go like to oh, yeah. and like submit the best temples? Uh, that's that's the trick. You I uh, to be honest, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um we had to kind of explore. We yeah. visited different temples, we scheduled meetings with the monks because it I I thought to begin with it would be that way, that you could yeah. send an email I'd like to sign up for a monkhood yeah. uh, stay at your resort and uh, Is that how it's going to work out? And it's not. It, no. They they follow quite old ways of doing it. And and I think that's quite cool. Because it, it kind of asks you, you know, how bad do you actually want this? Mm -hmm. And luckily, luckily, we found someone who actually could take me in. Yeah. And and that was... Uh, that so was you show up every morning at six <clears throat> saying, hey, how was that? Like, well, was it a meeting or went for I, a or? First, I met... He, his name is Praajan. Prajan Sak, which was, was my teacher's name. And I met him first and he said he couldn't do it. Yeah. But then he actually came back to us after we, we left the temp, that temple and we went to some others. And he said, I can, I can take him in anyways. Yeah. And, and he's a very kind man. And the way he wanted this to work was I actually moved in with him. So yeah. he lived in a small house inside of, 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 of this the temple um, compound. And he cleaned out... Uh, what's it called, like a storage room. And I put bed down and I could sleep there. And I slept there for a few weeks to to kind of get in the routine of what it takes to be a monk and follow him and be his uh, his uh, apprentice. And that was quite of an out-of-body out of experience because my, um, you got to admit my Thai is pretty much non-existent. I can understand Thai and I can speak broken Thai, but I don't, I don't, I'm not fluent in it in any ways. And The great guy here, he he didn't speak English, so it was it was somewhat of a lost in translation while being lost in Buddhism experience, and uh, that was I was very lucky. Mm -hmm. I see that now to to have had that opportunity, um, and then after you lived with him and got in the routine, then you can start going into the actual ordination, which is a completely different setup yeah. um, that requires a bigger ritual. As you said, you have to actually meet. I think it's around 20 monks and you have to recite this, these scriptures and then they accept you into the temple and then you are, you have to sh shed hair and eyebrows and everything and clothes and everything you own basically and you go into the temple as, as a reborn um, pra, which is, which is monk in Thai. Yeah. So uh, that's the short version. Yeah. <laughs> so is it, so is it most Thai families, the oldest son, Yes. Good. Is that for a lifetime or is that for like a so, specific period of time to, to understand the way of living or how is it? It's a tradition. So people can choose to do it as long as they want. Yeah. And for my sake, it was, it was partly to indulge in, in the experience and learn it. But there's many caveats of being a monk yeah. that I didn't know. One of them was that Monkhood in Thailand, Theravada Buddhism, is is somewhat of a political actor as well. And there's okay. yeah, it's it's a more complex story than such. But monks are essentially they're higher than the people, they're higher than the military, but they're below the king. 
So they fit somewhat of a middle position in dominance hierarchy. And that was a surprise to me. I didn't know that that was the way that society was built up in Thailand. So if you want to be in that space and you want to live, you have to abide to a lot of rules and a, a lot of different um, routines as a monk. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do that, you can do that. And, and my teacher was had been a monk for 20, 25 years, something like this. And absolutely amazing individual. But you see, I saw young men who just ordained, stayed a few days and then left again. A okay. young time and while I was there. And that's just as normal as being baptized in, in I guess, the Western world. That It's a ritual. It's a tradition. You do it because family is important. Yeah. <clears throat> so kind of like being in Denmark when you're 14 or 13. Yeah. Yeah. The only difference being that you get stuff in Denmark. And as a mom, yeah. you, well, get rid of everything. Yeah. Yeah, so you don't do it for the gifts. <laughs> that's, that's for sure, yeah. So how long did you end up staying? Actually, not that long. A lot of people think I've stayed for a long time, but the actual time was just about three weeks. Okay. So what were some of the things that you took away from that? Well, besides the experience of of the political position, which was yeah. an experience, a uh, surprise, because that that somewhat jeopardized my belief in spirituality. Not because it wasn't existing in the temple, but because it wasn't as pure as I'd believed. Yeah. That was one thing I took away from it. The other thing was that from a technological point of view, the reason I wanted to go into the temple was also to see how, how back to basics could I actually live. Yeah. And you find out that every single, I guess, uh, monk in, in that area I was in were, were technological savvy. And, okay. and they actually had smartphones and engaged in Twitter. They had a different usage of the technology. Yeah. They were much more aware of why they were doing it and what they were doing, what they were using the, the smartphones for, which was something that I feel was amazing to see because I know that Asia in particular is very driven by, I guess, digital obesity. Mm -hmm. So so there was almost like a, an art form of using technology that that I definitely was inspired by. And then last but not least, that, that I got to understand that even though you are a monk and you leave monkhood, you still have, uh, I guess, a responsibility of taking ownership of something that you want to give back or, mm. or teach or, or something third. And that was one of the things I discussed a lot with my teacher, that I feel that even though I'm not shaving bald and living in an orange robe, I still want to carry some of these things with me because... I really feel that there are people back here in the Western world who who are longing for this and who doesn't necessarily need to, to go through the same experience in order to understand that. No. So since then, you've done a lot of cool things. And one, one of them was doing the TEDx. Yeah. Where you talked about how do we be, how are we mindful and technology yeah. and so on. Could you share a few words about what that was about? Yeah. It takes a lot to get in front of actually being able to do a TEDx. So... Uh, must have inspired a lot of people. I hope so. Um, there was at least a reason for it. I I guess I came home a bit more driven when it yeah. came to kind of spreading this, this idea of how much tech do you actually need. And, yeah. and, and that inspired me to do this TEDx of, of digital mindfulness. And at that point in time, I was engaged with a startup was very interested or uh, worked around with a product that actually incentivized people to not use their smartphones mm -hmm. with, with gamified behavior. 
It was pretty cool setup, but you quickly found out that it wasn't really solving the problem. It was just adding a different way of behaving yeah. that that didn't, you know, that just made you be distracted of something else. So the core of digital mindfulness and also the, I guess, the reason why I got the opportunity for, for the TEDx was that I really chose to challenge the the perception we have of our surroundings. And it's not just technology, it's just how much... How much do we actually engage with that we're aware of? Mm. And what are our actions driven by? And obviously technology became the easiest example of something everybody engages in and, and most of the time don't really know why we're doing it. Mm. And so digital mindfulness became this, this kind of uh, campaign for me to say, okay, at least be aware when you engage with technology. Because if not, it's like, you know, the feeling you live, you look in the fridge and you don't know what you're looking for, but yeah. you're still looking in the fridge. And I think that kind of behavior is getting more frequent. So the whole idea with the TEDx was also to try and speak it out. Because yeah. one of my, I guess, my, my biggest uh, passions is to try and manifest the feelings and thoughts I have about this subject and make people aware of what they actually do. So they may have a choice to have a say in that. Yeah. So how do you use social media? So are you off Facebook, off Instagram, Snap, huh. Twitter, yeah. <clears throat> everything else? With a Nokia 2310? Or yeah. <laughs> did you learn how to use Twitter when you were in Thailand? Well, monks likes to tweet, that's for sure. Yeah. But no, I'm not off. No. No. And I was for some time. Yeah. Um, you know, I gave it in a, a tryout to see what are my abstinence of getting off this. And yeah, you know, I guess I'm addicted to digital to some extent. And it's very hard to just cut that habit off because a lot of daily engagement happens in this mm. cyberspace place. So over the last two years, I've kind of tried to practice an aspect of mindfulness when engaging it, which is hard. I mean, I'm, by far not an expert in this, but I try to isolate myself to certain platforms, first of all, mm -hmm. and set my intention for those platforms. So today I use Instagram because I believe pictures, first of all, is something that is more, I guess, meaningful to me yeah. than just the whole idea of one-to-one of -one engagement and constant likes and so on and so forth. I try to re-engineer my feed so yeah. I don't have... At least I don't have as much junk as I would have had earlier in life. Yeah. I try to fill it out with stuff that actually inspires me to look up my up from my phone. Yeah. Uh, so specific news, art, or something that I would like to share with others. And most importantly, I guess also something you said earlier, I try to call people instead of write people. Yeah. And and this is a hard one because when you call people these days, they often think it's very serious. And yeah. That's that's not necessarily the case, right? It's just it's nice to hear your voice. Yeah, that's just how it is. And um, and so that's that's kind of been the routine for me. And also, I've I've installed monitors on uh, activity monitors on my phone yeah. um, to, to keep me keep me on track of how much time I actually spend on my iPhone. So, which apps are you using for tracking or tools? So, moment I'm using on my phone. Yeah, uh, it's just a background app. Yeah. But not just me every day to see 
either if my my usage of my smartphone has gone up or down from the day before. Okay, so moment. Moment. Like a moment. Yes. Okay. And then I have um, for my laptop. I use um, I can't remember the name now, but it's also a monitoring dashboard that it's bit more substantial basically tracks every single application you work with on your computer yeah uh, the name escapes me but every week it sends me a report yeah that shows an overlay of my productivity yeah based on how much I've been engaging with social media and based on how much I've been engaging with programs that I have uh, categorized as productive systems okay so that gives me an idea at least on how I'm spending my time and then to tie that up especially when it comes to work because social media plays a big role in, in every workspace mm. even though we don't want to yeah i do time sprints yeah so i really try and set a timer i can't believe i'm doing it but yeah. i'm doing it still just like it was in high school yeah you know you would study for some time then you would have a break but i do the same thing so how long do you set the timer for well i have different sprints so i have <laughs> five 15 25 and 45 minutes yeah and it depends on the assignment Yeah. Also, the aspect of is this a deep work assignment yeah. that you should, that will need my cognitive power over an estimated of 30 minutes, yeah. or is this just you know pay this damn bill, right? This shouldn't take more than five minutes, yeah. but it's been there on your table for the last three days, yeah. so get it out of the way. So, so that's kind of how I play that game of of uh, productivity yeah. in my life. Cool, yeah, that <clears throat> definitely something that helps me as well. So sitting like some kind of watch that actually rings mm. in the night mm. to know that for 30 minutes or 40 minutes, this is all I can focus on. Yes. If we have that, I have at least a tendency that you suddenly, without thinking about it, you reach for your phone and I'm like, what am I doing? Exactly. Just focused. Like exactly. Real how you've become so addictive to your, to your phone. Mm. So it's interesting to hear how you're actually working with it because it's definitely something that I'm, I'm still working on how I can get better. Um, mm. Like I always have my phone on soundless, so I don't get the notifications and all this. So do you have do you get notifications from Instagram or no? Okay. Only thing I get notifications from right now is phone calls. Yeah. And and motivational app actually yeah. that sends me every day, you know, something that I can wake up to. And what motivational app do you use for that? Uh, it's called. I'm gonna check my phone now. Yeah. Even though Yeah, I shouldn't, but I'm gonna do that. And it's called Motivate. Something expensive. Yeah, okay. Motivate. It was a friend who recommended it to me. Yeah. Because we both found out that in the morning we have a problem of checking our phones, right? Yeah. That, as I said earlier, I'm not perfect. I try to keep a strict routine of getting up and doing something, right? But I sometimes get up and I check my phone. So now the only notification I have when I wake up is some kind of quote yeah. or something that actually aspires or motivates me to do something that might not be on my phone. And it's a good way of giving my conscious a kick in the butt from early rising on. Yeah. So how, so I keep my phone on flight mode. Oh, that's smart. I used to always wake up. And the first thing I did was check my phone. I checked my emails and everything else. And research just shows that like puts your brain in a loud mm. mode from the start. Mm. So now I have it on flight mode. And so I wait with turn it off flight mode mm -hmm. till I have some water mm -hmm. and just like a few minutes of walking around. And if I'm really good, I wait until after movement in the morning. Mm. So and do you have mark on... yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have it on flight mode as well? Or do you like 
get text messages that you might wake up to in the morning or do you also I, I, um, I read that a friend was moving some of her apps from the phone so instead of when you yeah. open your phone you don't have your email yeah. on so to say the first page yeah. that you actually have to scroll over yeah. so you don't wake up to say like seven emails yeah. how important is that I mean, how do you deal with that it's a good question and to be honest with you uh, it, at this moment in my life I have somewhat it's a somewhat turbulent time so it uh, it is a bit hard for me just to stick stick to the noble routine of of yeah, com- being completely tech free from the get go mm. i think i found a very nice way of dovetailing both being mindful and both being digital yeah to to kind of you know full circle back to the tedx talk the idea is that i know i'm waking up for something yeah i do a future diary every night before I wake up, uh, before I go to bed, sorry. And this future diary kind of helps me set my intention for the day to come because I'm not necessarily a morning person. But it, it, I feel that as well. That You feel that as well, right? And I'm <laughs> Very sure, hard time in the morning getting up. That's how it is, and that's okay. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of other people out there. But I know that I get up if I know I'm getting up for something. Yeah. So I'm very bad at not keeping my my promise and time for people I've committed to. So sometimes I make I set the intention the night before to wake up for something that I've promised myself. And I promise this by writing it down. Yeah. And the funny thing about transcribing a thought like this is that you you're subconsciously committing to something yeah. that will automatically get you up and running in the morning. And and this has been a practice that I've done for the last seven months or so. So it's it's become more or less a habit for me. So do you write down in your phone in notes or do you have a book? Or I have a notebook. Okay. Very, I've, And I've designed it in a specific way to, to nudge me into a specific mindset Yeah. Uh, before I go to bed. It's, it's a recap of the day that has passed and a manifestation of the day to come. Yeah. So, and just to answer your question about waking up in the morning, I will wake up and check my phone if that's what my intention was set for the night before. And... Again, this sounds like I'm a robot. I'm not a robot. But I know that there might be something important for me to get up and do. Yeah. Especially because I'm never going to... It's also a hard word for me to say. I have a hard time compromising on my sleep. Mm. So sometimes I postpone work last night to do early morning. Yeah. And if I can set my intention for that, I get up and do it. Yeah. However, the, the book, to get back to that point, is almost like a... I like to call it my, my crystal ball. Because it, it's made in a way that both asks me to make um, affirmations of the day that has passed. It has asked me to note... Can you explain just what's in the affirmation? A, a, affirmation, probably also one of the most important things I learned at the temple. A, affirmation is a, a method of... I guess it's best translated into writing down something you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. But you need to be very specific in formulating what you're grateful for. You can't just say, it was a good day. You have to be specific about what made that day good. And the reason for that is that if you can transcribe those specific things that made that day good, you get an idea of, I guess, also something we're going to get into this talk, what makes you a better person, mm-hmm. what makes you feel more grateful about your, your circumstances and your environment and the happenings to you and your experiences and so forth and so on. So that's affirmations, and I do three of them. And it's hard. It's hard to think about specifically what made you happy today. But it also is a way of saying, okay, even though this was a bad day, something good happened. Mm. So it gives you a peace of mind. The two other things I do is I note down something I've learned 
and I note down something I can do better. Yeah. And then I, on, on the basis of this, I manifest the day to come. Mm-hmm. So. So do you start with the three things you're grateful for? Yes. Okay. And then the thing I've learned, and then the thing I've what's it called? I I need to do better. Yeah. And then from that on, I can I can manifest the day tomorrow. Okay. Interesting. Because I would think that you, so you do that with manifesting the things for tomorrow, but I would think you want to end on a high, something positive. So I would actually yeah. think that you would start with what you learned, what you need to improve, and then what you're grateful for. So kind of end your night, and then mm. like what's going to happen tomorrow, so you mm. you fall asleep on the most positive. Mm. I know at least like if I think about what I should improve, sometimes I'm like, damn, I could do better than that. Mm. Um, mm. Because the three things of being grateful is one of the things that's researched on at least that does one of the biggest things for your happiness. That writing down three things you're grateful for is amazing. I do it as well every night. And oh, great. I, nice. I do it in the, in notes on my phone. Yeah. And then I always get surprised or often get surprised about once you get started, the first one or two things might be difficult. Mm. But then suddenly you start to think more about good stuff that happened in the day. And then I do, at the end of each year, I look through all of my notes and look at what are the themes. And that's been a way for me, at least, to see what is it that really makes me grateful, what makes me really happy and see like certain themes mm. are very clear. And I also found that certain people that I feel like I haven't, talk, I haven't talked to this person a lot this year, but mm. they actually appeared that's funny you say that. five or six times. Yeah. I was like... One of my oldest friends actually yeah. called Mark that one, he's my oldest friend, but I don't talk to him that often. But I realized when I was going through my journal that yeah. he was he was there several times. That's awesome, man. That's really awesome. beautiful. But but cool to hear that you're doing something very similar. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna no, take note of what you just said because then I'm sure there's a thousand ways of doing it. Yeah. And maybe maybe I, that could be an alternative way of feeling different. So. Yeah. So how does it help you with, I'm really interested in like writing down what's going to happen the next day. Yeah. So most of us keep a calendar. Yeah. At least that's a good thing, to good way of starting if you want to do anything in your life. Keep a calendar. Yeah. However, a calendar is still a, just a set of tasks. Yeah. Happenings, right? Big to-do list. Exactly. So my experience, at least... Now, this year has been somewhat turbulent again. It's the second time I note this. But that's just because that's how it's been. And I've come to understand that there are some uncertainties in my life that I'd really much just like to have a strategy of how to engage with. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it was, I can't remember who it was, Churchill or something, who said, failing to plan is planning to fail. Mm-hmm. And the idea with this, at least future diary, is to, you know, if I could choose how the outcome would turn out, it would be like this. Yeah. Of course, I can't choose that, but I can set my intention for how the best case scenario would look like for me. Yeah. And why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. So Future Diaries, it's just a few lines, actually. It takes me no longer than 10 minutes max. Yeah. And what I write down in it is, first of all, mostly describing my morning. Yeah. Because if I can describe my morning, usually the day is going to be okay. Yeah. And then I try to take on the biggest tasks I have another part of the diary is that every Sunday I write down the most important milestones I need to reach for this week yeah so there is something about inter you know interweening or rowing these important tasks into the day to come 
but I try and describe them as it was an experience. It surprised me, you know, use words that are not necessarily all that specific, yeah. but positive. Yeah. So at least the, the chance for it happening, I'd say is larger, right? Yeah. And the crazy thing about this, and I remember because I wrote, I wrote my birthday down. Yeah. And I wrote my birthday down actually one month before I had my birthday and specifically how that day would turn out. And that was the first time I really was confronted by the power of manifestation. Mm. And it's not just that you write it down and it comes true, but that's actually it. Mm. You write it down and it comes true. Because your subconscious has already said it's, it's that that happening as an output, and and it's not just that you can write anything, but you should at least try to manifest the things that you believe is best for you mm. on a one-to-one daily basis. Yeah, cool. So that's also what if you follow Anthony Robbins or mm. many of the others talk about writing it down and being conscious about where you want to go. It's definitely something that I have to test out as well. So not only the gratitude, but seeing like, what did I learn and so on. I did at some point write down what I learned, one thing each day. Yeah. But I've kind of slipped away from it. But that's something that I, I got to get into again. I, I, I can it, only encourage you. Yeah, it would definitely, it had a positive impact. And yeah, I got to get back to that. So another thing is <laughs> meditation. Yes. So we actually have a common friend called David. Yes. Who's now a Kung Fu master. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty impressive. And I used to live with him. He came home and told me about these awesome meditation sessions that he had with you. Yeah. Can you tell us more about how did you get oh. into meditation and what does that mean to you? I mean, it means a lot. Yes. I did not understand what it actually meant until I stopped doing it. Yeah. So it was something I picked up. I picked it up a few years back because my, my dad is a great meditator. And I remember when I was a kid, I would sometimes disturb him in his study and he would be, he would be all still. And I thought he was sleeping, but he wasn't. And yeah. you know, that was the first confrontation I had with meditation. And the funny thing is that my dad is not Thai, right? My mom doesn't meditate, but he meditates. Yeah. So after, unfortunately, after the experience of, of pretty serious depression, I started asking myself, okay, what the heck is wrong with? I mean, there must be something inside of me because this, this, this is weird. Like why, how can my own brain go against myself? And that I guess was around the age of 25 or so, which was too young in my eyes to go through this, such an experience, but it allowed me to be more open to try alternative ways of, of managing myself. Mm -hmm. And this was where I kind of indulged myself in, in meditation. And what that actually meant, because my initial understanding of meditation was to sit down, breathe, and not think of anything, mm. which is true. That's a part of it's a, a type of meditation. It's called samatha meditation, but it's extremely hard. Yeah, it's a meditation practice that focuses on, on breath and enhances concentration. Something that is very hard in a connected 21st century society, and so I think I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Right. And automatically I, I just felt it was overwhelming and I gave up. But it, when I came to the temple, I was introduced to several meditation styles and it was a short visit, but it was still enough to kind of give me an idea of what's out there. Mm-hmm. Being a quite big fan of fitness and training, I learned to understand that meditation is mental training. Yeah. Obviously, it's like any other fitness training. And that means that there's a thousand ways that you can do it. So... Coming back, I was, again, I was eager to show that if you want to be 
digitally mindful, you need to understand that first and foremost, meditation is not about controlling your thoughts, but primarily not about about not letting your thoughts control you. Mm-hmm. And so what, that, what does that really mean, right? It means that you should be able to observe, you should be able to be conscious about what is going on while not being dragged away with it. And this practice was, I guess, what, what David, at that point, I, I tried to introduce to people, which was a mixture of samatha, which is this deep kind of meditation, and vipassana meditation, which is more focused on the here and now. It activates your senses. You are asked to tap into scent and to sight and to hearing and to taste and to the sensations of the body, which grounds you a bit more to your surroundings. Mm-hmm. Something that, at least in a, in a fast-paced society, we forget the here and now and we try to be somewhere else, right? We're always on, on the go. We're always busy. And, and this kind of practice is a great one to ask yourself, you know, where do you come from? Not because you should stay in the past, but you should reflect on it. Mm. Where are you now? Are your values intact with what your intentions are and where are you going? Are you still looking for this star in the sky? Or are you diverted from your course? Mm. So, so there are different ways of playing around with this that is not just this, I guess, boring type of meditation. And the one I've used today is, is a more, it's a self-made one. I guess mm. once you, for those who've been to the fitness center for many years, you stop following a program and just do things, right? Because you start finding out what actually works. And the type I do now is much more about being emotionally aware and to really, really be honest about the feelings I have in me. And at this point in time, it's anger. And and that's a terrible thing to speak out loud, right? Because what monk is angry and anger is a terrible feeling. And that's why I disagree. I've always agreed that anger is a terrible feeling, but it's something that's very powerful and very dominating and it shouldn't be, you know, stomped down into your being. Mm. I think that's the cause of depression, at least for for many people, is that we we do not dare to admit that we are angry and so we implode within ourselves and we become depressed ghouls or ghosts of ourselves. And so I acknowledge at this point in time that I have feelings of anger and I should forgive myself for that. Mm. And, and this practice is, is freeing mass. It's, it's because if you wake up and you know you have this tension in your body and you're like, okay, it's okay, it's going to pass. It's only going to pass if you dare meet it, first mm-hmm. of all. It's not confronted, meet it. And try and see what this thing actually is. So so how do you do that? So, Practically, like, how yeah. do you meet that? So there is there is the aspect of it comes from this book and I guess we can come with the book recommendations later but it's it's written by a guy called Jody Spencer who I've followed for a lot of years and who again first now starts making sense I guess the when the student is ready and master appears right so at this point in time he he made a lot of sense and he wrote this book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself yeah and this book really asks you to challenge the ways of behavior that you everyday engaging because from a I guess from a neurological or behavioral economic standpoint you do the things you do at least from a routine basis because they maximize value for you in some ways right and he asks you to confront this mm-hmm. and part of his meditation is to to dig down into not just the actions but the intention behind the action and where this resides and most of it resides in some kind of emotional basis mm-hmm. so say that you have been through an experience that was troubling to you 
And this experience is something that you feel that you should get over. And you get over this experience by doing things that makes you forget about this experience. At least, you know, in some way or form, numb yourself for that ever happening because now you're doing something that's more interesting and, and more engaging. However, that doesn't mean that that experience disappears. It still resides within you in some kind of small crystallized form, right? And what he says is that evidently some of the actions you're doing today is because of this experience or this emotion still, still being buried down deep inside of you. And then you go through your life and you think there's nothing wrong. And then one point in time, it's going to act like a cancer. It's going to jump up and it's going to confront you again. Mm -hmm. So he's not saying that you should confront it, but you should definitely dare to meet it. Mm -hmm. And you meet it by peeling the layers of your being in, in this meditational practice. That is, that is, you know, it's like staring into the white wall and sees what comes up. You have to go back to that moment in time where you feel that emotion actually happened to you. So how does that work? Do you sit in front of a mirror, open eyes, or do you have music going on that mm. tells you, like, guides you to say, mm. like, hey, do X, Y, Z? Because I've tried different meditations, mm. and it's yeah, it is very different. Yeah. So the first thing is that you need to really be patient. Yeah. And it's a pretty, it's a long meditation. It's, at this moment in time, it's 26 minutes every morning. Yeah. And so most of those minutes actually goes with the focus of how aware can you be of yourself and the space around you, but mostly yourself. The way I practice this is that I usually have some breath work exercises in the beginning to oxidize my blood yeah. and to make my frontal lobe, I guess, activated to some extent. It's usually in the morning, so I'm also a little tired. Yeah. But I then continue on to be very aware of how my body is. And I do this by imagining water rise around me and completely, I guess, drowning me to some extent, but I can still breathe. So yeah. what would it feel like if water started rising from your feet and all the way up to your, you know, covering you basically yeah. slowly. So you could become completely aware of how would water feel if it hits your knees, right? And these things activate your body in a different way. So is that cold or warm water? Because I'm, I love to surf mm. and I can imagine like being in mm. different kind of water. And it's a different feeling mm. if you imagine being in warm water compared mm. to cold. So it's a funny thing you say that because the feeling that I get when imagining this is somewhat like steam because yeah. I can still breathe, but it feels warm. And the sensation of that, I don't know how it came to be, but every time I do it, it's like I'm being embraced. Yeah. It's like I'm, a place, I'm, I'm in a place that's safe. However, I'm blind, I'm deaf, and I can't smell anything. It's I'm I'm just I'm just here in this in this space of time or whatever it is. It takes some time to get into, but once you're there, it's a freeing sensation. It makes you really surprised of how fast 26 minutes can can take. And we we're talking about this now, and people are probably gonna think that they want to try this. It it takes time, and it took me. Just a, I mean, just a book I've had for three or four years now, and it took me a good year to get to this point. Okay. And it's not to say that people can't do it faster. I'm sure they can, but I guess it, it makes it makes more sense if you first get to explore other kinds of meditation practices. Yeah. You, you can't just jump into this and, and think it's going to work. So what made you change to this meditation practice? I guess I was a little desperate, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It um, coming out of a, a crisis, I 
I felt I've lost, I lost a connection to myself, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, I guess the biggest surprise of that was that I never, I never knew that I had it. So I was just in a position, um, some things changed in my life, kind of the paradigm switched and it just put me in a position where I was like, okay, if, if, if there's some, if there's one thing I need to do right now is to really try and core it down to, to unravel, you know, who is this guy I'm going to live the rest of my life with? Mm. I mean, who, what are the things and the values and, and the ideas that, that I've accumulated in my 30 years of life? And, and how, how can I just spend some time reflecting on this? Because if everything is uncertain, I, I gotta, I gotta stay certain to myself, at least to, at least to a certain degree, right? Mm. There's a lot of certainty in that sentence, but I guess it, it makes sense. Yeah. It's just about, you know, everything else around us, man, it's just, it doesn't make sense. So sense has to come somewhere from within. Yeah. That's the kind of uh, paradoxical, you know, reason I had for, for doing it. Yeah. So how long have you been, do you meditate every single day now? Or you try to? I try to. Yeah. I'm not perfect. No. But I must admit, if I don't, I feel it. Yeah. So how would, what would you recommend people start off doing if they want to start meditating? So there's a lot of great apps out there, Yeah. first of all. And the reason I like to recommend I mean, a digital solution to this is because there's, a, there's several people and companies who are doing a great bloody job with this. Yeah. Headspace is one of them. Calm, C-A-L-M, is another. Yeah. Uh, I use Insight Timer, who has great guided meditation sessions as well. The whole idea about getting started with this is to, to make a, a statement to yourself of why you think you might need it. It's not just to do it. I think that's, that's silly. You, you have to have a reason. You have to, you have to commit to something. Mm. And there's a lot of, I, I could probably come up with a billion different reasons of why you should commit to it, but it, it needs to be yourself who define this. Mm. And I don't think people should be Constrained with the thought that meditation needs to relate to something religious, necessarily the spiritual, do it for a productive matter or do it for the aspect of, of your partner. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can easily be, you know, something that's, that's romantic. Take Kama Sutra as a great meditation practice as well. So don't let the whole idea of something that's been working around for a billion years to not fit into the 21st century society because I think it's it's been warming up for this moment in time. I think we're ready for it now. So it's definitely if you follow any productivity or any kind of new research, everyone talks about you need to meditate. Tim Ferriss that wrote a book, you know, I think he's 80. He wrote a book with great mentors and I think 80% of all of them. Are stealing fire? So he nice tools of titans. Tools of titans, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I think it was true. like 80% or so of all of the people in here when meditating. Yeah. And all of them say like, they wish they had done it earlier and they can feel the difference. So it really That's seems thing, like it definitely have an impact yeah. and we're starting to see so much research on it. I, I have this saying that you should meditate one minute a day, right? Yeah. One minute a day, you should set a timer and you should just not do anything for that minute. And unless people are too busy. Yeah. In that case, they need two minutes, right? So yeah. There is no trade-off for this because it's for your bloody self. I mean, yeah. so what would be the low practical advice advice for people that's like, I can't find a minute, or like, you how do I do that for a minute? Does yeah. that mean that? <laughs> so I imagine some of my busy friends would be like, all right, I'll 
go to the toilet and then I'll not look at my phone for a minute when I'm sitting in the toilet. Like, yeah. So what's the, what do you do? That's a good question. I mean, again, it depends. It depends on who the person is. Yeah. But if you have a partner, make that minute a ritual where you two stare at each other. Yeah. I think there's something about, you know, meditation in, in Sanskrit means to, to nourish something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty good translation because it doesn't really matter what you nourish. You just have to devote yourself to nourishing something. And if you can't find out to sit down and take a minute with yourself, well, then take a minute with someone else. Mm. Ask someone to take a minute with you. And if that person is a person that you love, then what better bloody investment could there be of one minute? True. So just before we round off, if you give one or two recommendations to the people listening here, what uh, what could that be? So... And it could be a recommendation about anything. So I guess to, to give people some idea of direction, there is this mission I feel that is above all something each and every individual should pursue. And that is to become the best version of yourself, right? And I say this and you might ask, you know, what does that mean? Well, that's not, that's not my problem. That's your problem. You need to define that. And tying in everything that we talked about. What does it take to become the best version of yourself? Mm. The way to answer this question in my eyes is threefold. Either you remember a time in life where you have become, or where you were the best version of yourself. If that's the case, you need to sit down and use one minute to reflect on what the circumstances were at that point of time where you were the best version of yourself. Or You have never been the best version of yourself. In that case, the minute should be used to explore, take risks. Because let's face it, if you've never been the best version of yourself, then what the hell do you have to lose? You have everything to gain. And last but not least, perhaps you right now in time are the best version of yourself. In that case, congratulations. But that means that you have a very, very, very serious responsibility over both to yourself and the rest of the world to sustain that to nourish that and to make sure that you don't become complacent. There's something about making sure if it feels good today, you know, how do you sustain it? Mm. You don't fix your roof when it's raining. You fix your roof when it's sunshine. So make sure that you have everything in place to go into raining days. Thank you very much, Alex. And uh, welcome. thank you for, uh, for spending the time and sharing some of your thoughts. Really appreciate it. Of course. And so if people want to talk to you further on this, I know you also do, you both work with companies, you work with individuals as well. Um, you've done some private coaching and so on. Can yes. you just elaborate a bit on that before we end? So as, as a spiritual technologist, I've devoted myself to try and, you know, try to help people do better for the world. Yeah. And I do this, as you say, in different ways. I, I run strategic workshops for companies who seek to well, better understand the future and better understand the role of how management, both as a, from a professional sense, but also from a social impact sense, can, can benefit the world. So that's strategic workshops specifically on technological development and the humanistic values in this. Or on a more personal level, as you said, I offer uh, private coaching. And this is more 
based on this idea of becoming the best version of yourself. So mm. what does that take? This is both in relation to impact investors, impact entrepreneurs, or individuals who feel that they want to do something greater for the world. The agenda for me is quite important. I do not want to help individuals make more money, but I want individuals to have a say on, on how to make the world better. Um, and, and then on those occasions, everybody is, of course, welcome to contact me. Mm. More than happy to hear stories and ideas. And if anyone feels that I might be able to apply values to the visions of how they see the world, I'd be happy to lend that ear. Cool. And where can people find you or follow yes. your work or so? Please join me on the fantastic platform of LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> I I guess that's the professional business card. Uh, I'll be sure to add a link. Please do. Or Instagram. Um, again, this is where I guess my life happens. And that's not to say that I live on Instagram, but at least I share aspects of how living is on Instagram. Um, you're welcome to contact me there on my website, which is Avance, A-V-A-N-T-H dot I-O. Cool. Well, there's definitely uh, something for listeners out there interesting to follow. As you can hear, Alexander have a tough experience in life. is very honest. And you can feel he's very, have his heart at the right place, willing to help people. So uh, highly encourage you guys to go follow him. Uh, thank you so much, Alexander. For It's a great job. pleasure. Thank you so much, Vance. Thank you very much for listening today. You can find the show notes and links to Alexander's work at growthisland.io. And with that, I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.